Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. Another week, another podcast, Tim. If my calculations are correct, it is 111, all of the ones, I, I, I. <laughs> like a bingo caller. <laughs> and uh, tell them what it, this one is about, Timbo. Well, this one we were invited onto the Athletic Evolution podcast with a friend of ours called Rob Anderson, who we've done a little bit of work with, with Scottish Rugby, and he's been to a couple of our workshops. Great guy, really into and invested and committed to development of junior and youth athletes um, through different sports. He's particularly a specialist in his rugby, but he wanted to get us on to have a chat around the role of calisthenics in developing the physical literacy of junior athletes. Yeah, it was a it was a great. Really enjoyed. It. He got us a couple of really thought provoking questions, and um, a couple of times I spurted out some things that were I think deep buried about when I was playing rugby as a youth. That, um, but just said yeah, some really nice um, philosophies on what we should and shouldn't be, or what we can how calisthenics can play a positive role in youth development, um, and and a little bit and wider into sort of just the SNC philosophy of where does calisthenics fit in a traditional SNC program, whether with youth or whether with um, adult populations, and whether it, whether it is like uh, elite sport or not is sort of irrelevant. But where does that fit into training? And um, hopefully, some nice takeaways for you. The burning question on my mind, Jacko, now is would I have got picked for Nottinghamshire County team under 14s had I have done calisthenics to enhance my physical literacy as a young promising rugby player i'm gonna say probably yes but unfortunately we'll never know let's say yes guys sit back and enjoy tim and jacko on athletic evolution with your host rob anderson roll the jingle Welcome to the podcast. Today I'm speaking with Tim Stevenson and David Jackson from the School of Calisthenics. So welcome Tim, the head of exercise science and handstands and Jacko, the head of human flags. Welcome to the podcast. Makes it sound like that's all we do, isn't it? Handstands <laughs> and human flags. Thanks Rob. That's like Absolutely a great time. We've been looking forward to this one. We've eventually managed to get, it, uh, get the dates aligned. So. And you passed the first test. You said calisthenics correctly. Well, he well should done. do. He's been on a workshop. <laughs> Twice. Yeah, that, that is a bugbear well, of mine, too fair. <laughs> And you get a few people that can't say it, and I'm like, <laughs> not as much as it annoys us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, bet, Calis- I bet. Calisthenetics is is a is often a popular one. A little tip for people: keep keep it all the letters in the correct order, and read it from left to right, like any other word in the English language, and, and pronounce the vowels. <laughs> <laughs> or pronounce, yeah, just pronounce all of it, and you'll be fine. <laughs> Good tips. So, for those who aren't familiar with you. Um, can you maybe give us an idea of what it is that you guys do and, and kind of how you've ended up uh, in the situation you're doing with the, the School of Calisthenics? Um, yes, yeah, so both Jack and I are from a strength and conditioning coaching background. Um, I've been doing, I think I've got 12, 12 years of, of working with um, with athletes, predominantly in Paralympic sport was where I sort of found my, my niche and an initial passion and still passion with that. Still both of us do some work um, with that with that population still um, in preparation for the for Tokyo. So that was very much our sort of our our um, founding point was within strength and conditioning and and the, and the traditional sort of roots of the, all the different sort of um, experiences and uh, methodologies that, that come with that. Uh, Jacko was an ex professional rugby player, retired six years ago with a head injury. 
Yep. And then joined the business that I currently had at the time, which was called One Athlete, where we were sort of providing um, very specialized athlete centered support for Paralympic athletes. Um, so, yeah, we, we've We've both um, sort of been on, on board since the start when we, when we founded Calisthenics and it came initially very much from a point of us experimenting with our own training. There was a, a desire to want to sort of see if we could bring another skill set into our training programs. Could we use bodyweight training more effectively with some of the athletes that we were working with? Um, and it was also for, from, from my own perspective initially of, of having a number of shoulder dislocations, two surgeries and having done a lot of physio stuff over the years it hadn't really worked my shoulder kept on dislocating um, I decided that if I could do a handstand then that would actually give me some confidence that my shoulder was stable so that started the process it was multiple kind of objectives to begin with but we ultimately just fell in love with it and I, I sort of dragged Jacko into it and said Mate, I've been trying to play around with this some of this stuff and and we just had, had, had a crack with it and we were just having such a good time it was really just for our own benefit and then we we kind of unpicked it a little bit and we got okay at it. And then other people in the gym, those people that had previously sort of laughed at us because we were awful when we started, neither of us have got a gymnastics background or anything like that. Um, then started asking us if we would, uh, if we would if we put a workshop on. So we did. People came using the exercise science and training methodologies that we sort of founded our S&C programs on. And then it just sort of grew very organically yeah, from there. A very small, like little thing initially in the, in the first year, we probably ran like three or four work. We did, I don't know. We ran a few workshops and just the thing that sort of grew, there was a couple of things that grew um, or, or gathered momentum was the longer it went on, it was like, well, Tim's doing more and more complex things and he still hasn't dislocated his shoulder. Like I didn't, I never knew him before um, we started doing calisthenics together, but so I didn't know his, his sort of shoulder injury history so much but it was it was the sort of proof was in the pudding i'd dislocated uh ac joint that wasn't repaired so i've just got i've got a separated ac joint um and broke my shoulder blade uh coracoid and current room process in two places when i when i was playing rugby so like we came to this thing with a load of baggage and then after a while you're going well actually we're doing these things that felt impossible when we first tried them and then like now actually shoulders feel like feel great so not only was it you know it was a little bit of a thought experiment for Tim in terms of like building some robustness and confidence in his shoulder um, the flip side of it for me was probably I loved training and always thought I'd be dead motivated for for training once I finished playing rugby but when that was sort of taken away and there was no game to play for I I, I never thought I'd even say it or or feel it but I, I lacked motivation for training I needed something different I needed some some different goals and having movement outcomes as goals were far more motivating for me and in terms of my training it was life-changing for me to be fair in terms of training like my my desire to change like postural control and flexibility and not just try and get stronger and big and beefy and whatever and and uh, yeah the benefits have then like grown and we've built up more it's happened gradually but as we as we've noticed these things it's like okay well it's it was great for it's great for the shoulder in some of these overhead sports so we're using it with swimmers and then it's actually great for these situations in for motivation in that might be in general pop or but also in performance sport or it could be in here so just the the repertoire of things that it's or sort of boxes that it was ticking around just overall like have like happiness in terms of your training, your body, we can sort we can get further into it, but it just kept building and building and building. Um, and then 
the other side of it was then that the workshops were popular so we were a bit like okay this has actually got some legs it's not just something we like messing about with it's actually um something that people are are enjoying and then you know we just kept pushing into it Mm. so what people kind of i guess in your initial delving into calisthenics what people influence what you're doing and i for those people who, who listen and i guess uh, probably would have some of the same reasons you you did originally around I'm not gymnastics background or I don't have that skill set. What did that that first few months or I guess years of trying to learn calisthenics look like? Yeah, it was actually a really fun process. <laughs> it just looked like messing about to yeah. the point where someone came up to us in the gym and went, "What are you two blokes doing? It just looks like you're pissing about." And we were, and we yeah. went, "Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing." We it's interesting that um, we never we never really sought out to learn from other people in the early stages and that might sound very arrogant but it's part of the way that we like to operate and things that we've done in the future sorry in the past with, with Paralympic sport there was no roadmap there is no one who would tell you how to train um, a double leg amputee or someone with cerebral palsy and, and that was well, when we started 2013 yeah things have changed now there's a much better conversation around Paralympic sport we know more and, and, and the methodologies are more defined but at that stage we just wanted to work it out so we're like we'd looked at a few sort of youtube videos and and typically we we're finding people who probably were from a gymnastics background or, or hadn't had the years of rugby that we both had and they were like well this is how you do a human flag you put your hand here and you well this is how you do it and they, they did one and we were like well that's great we now know that you know how to do a human flag but you don't actually understand or you haven't communicated the training process so we looked at the things that we were trying to learn like a handstand like a human flag a back lever and we were like what do you actually have to be able to do in order to be able to do a human flag that's a, that's a great yeah. example you're gonna have a super super strong single arm active hang on your top arm which is your pulling hand you're gonna have to have a load of stability at overhead flex external rotated position um, in the bottom hand and you're gonna have to link those forces through the kinetic chain so we, we basically just took the same thing that we'd done in Paralympic sport of creating a training environment, breaking down progressions and regressions of movements into those regressions and progressions. And we just formulated these exercises that we would start training and building that up into the full pattern. Um, and it was actually, this is still the way that we work now. And, and we didn't take the most direct route from A to B. We probably could have paid for and found a human flag program. But from a coaching perspective, it's actually the most valuable thing we've probably ever done because we really understand what you need to be able to do and we really understand what doesn't work and yeah. therefore have refined our understanding of what you do need to be able to do. So we can now give a most direct path, but only because we've got the context of knowing what your first principles of each of these movements is. Yeah, so we'll have, like people will learn, much fast, much, learn the things that we've learned much faster than we actually learn them, which is great because it means, as Tim said, it means we're refining that that learning process um and it, as you mentioned there like the the funny thing about getting things wrong is, is it is the flip side of like knowing what's right and actually until you've made a load of mistakes you don't you don't know what's right even if if you made no mistakes along the way and got to an end point you don't know if it's you don't know if all those things were right because you have to know what's wrong it's like good and bad you don't know what good is and without the context of knowing what what something bad is um we I think we thought about it and talked about it and chewed it through. And if someone yeah. says to you now, what's your rationale for X? We've got a pretty good yeah. understanding yeah. of what that is. So there's many a day when we'd be like frustrated because we couldn't do something. And then we're just, as you say, like just chewing it over and thinking, going, yeah, no, and, and, and figuring it out. And I think that comes back to, uh, it's fair to say that we both love problem solving. Um, you know, that's one of the things that 
I joined Tim in terms of my S&C experience was like I started off in with Tim having he was already what five six years into experience of Paralympic sport and sort of joining that and and going okay this is you're solving problems there because it's you can't just do what the textbook says because you've got all these uh, other in, uh, parts of the training environment and, and the athlete that you've got to consider which are all individual and all their own individual problems um, mm. my academic background is not in sports science I'm, uh, I'm an uh, engineer by sort of academic study which was all about problem solving um, and it's just the con we're just problem solving with with something that we find exciting of like these cool aspirational things you want to try and learn to do with your body and it's it's a it's a physical challenge but then it's a it's a mental challenge when you've got to when you've got to unpick it and, and, and work it out yourself there's there's a lot more probably in good quality information out there now across the internet and youtube etc but sort of going back to the sort of 2012 2013 there there wasn't like i mean or maybe there was more but we just didn't find it and we we probably didn't search that hard for it because i think we just wanted to try and as mm. I say figure it out ourselves because we were at that point we weren't trying to start the school of calisthenics we were just looking for a different trait different idea of, of training Hmm. So um, it's kind of interesting that it's obviously developed organically, but in terms of the day to day now, what is it that gets you guys out of bed to go and coach or to kind of drive the, the school of kinesthetics like further? What's your, your purpose day to day? It's a good question. I'm waiting to see what Tim says on this one. What gets you out? I mean, my alarm goes off. <laughs> <laughs> um, great question. Uh, I still really like solving complex problems, and some of that now is around what we're doing with training. We've probably, we've, we've generated a lot of material over the last sort of five years. Um, so some of our foundation things of like learning to handstand, learning to human flag, we're always looking to improve, but those are fairly well sort of established and we know what we're doing with them. We've taught them a lot. We've seen success with them a lot. Um, the, the running the organization, if you want to call it that, or the business is something that we're really sort of having to learn more about. We've, we started off very much as strength and conditioning coaches. I would now say that we're strength and conditioning coaches and business owners and we may even use the entrepreneur word businessman i am a businessman too <laughs> yeah. i need to get a suit um, but the things that for me as well like it's the we we get to we get to do an incredible we're very privileged to be able to, to be supported and surrounded by an incredible community of people so we get a lot of people who use our content we're an extremely positive um community of, uh, and it's just being able to serve them with the content that we put out and create a um, something which is financially able to support the lifestyle that we that we want, um, which is not massively lavish. It's just it, it forces us to do what we're doing, and I get to do things like write, and I get to um, I get to be creative with branding, and and Jack and I get to have a laugh. We have a, the biggest thing that we always say is like it always started from a place of having fun, and as the stresses and and the size of things and, and the, the sort of tasks that we're taking on have got bigger those things be, can become lost. So we often have yeah. to check ourselves and go back to, this was supposed to be fun, so let's make sure that we're having fun, otherwise it just becomes hard work. So I, I don't have a job, I love what we do, it's brilliant. I wouldn't change yeah. it. I think that, if I think about the main drive of literally that, that it was a great question, like drive of, it's given me, it's, listen, Tim's given me some time to think about it a little bit more. The main driver comes down to me for like, I love learning. So there's like so many different things that we're learning about, which is great. But then also in terms of like the calisthenics and trying to get the message out there to people is one, because we just believe in it so much. Like we've, we've felt it, we've experienced it. We'd know in terms of a 
type and form of training. There's so much physical mental benefits that um, if people are interested in it, we are very passionate about going, we want to provide you with a solution for that. You know, I know a lot of friends that um, know that they should exercise and should train, but they don't do as much or they do something they don't really like because of X, Y, Z. They just, they don't, you know, it just it isn't, they haven't found it yet. Um, we know what it was like to be beginners and how difficult it would be to get started. We see, you see cool videos of people and you get inspired, but it can be very quickly turned from inspiration into, well, I'll never be able to do that and, and therefore don't actually start. So we were beginners. Like I, when I did a first ever frog stand, I smashed my face on the floor. Um, that's how bad we were. But we were lucky enough that we'd spent that much time understanding training that we could figure this thing out for ourselves. What we want to do is um, make it accessible to anyone. That's why we have such a big focus on beginners. That's why our beginners program is completely free. Um, it's not free because it's of less high quality than the paid for stuff. It's because we want we want to take away the barriers for somebody else getting started and enjoying the the benefits physically and mentally of calisthenics. And I think that's what's that's what's necessarily the driver. Um, Another thing from my side, just thinking about we we get to push a bit of new ground. Like we're we're having conversations like we've spoken about this before, Rob, and we've presented some of this stuff when we when we did the stuff with Scottish rugby or the workshop. Um, around sort of using what we've learned and experienced from our own perspective around shoulder health and performance and actually taking calisthenics as a viable training option into athletic performance for people to use to bridge the gap between physiotherapy and strength and conditioning um, as a really effective tool of what we use the phrase of bomb proofing shoulders because that's our experience of it and it's the experience of so many people so there's those things of pushing forwards and doing new stuff as well which gets that's that's the stuff that i love so do you have a particular kind of coaching model that you guys are trying to come back to or even just obviously your philosophy of fun but do you have any other things that are kind of driving i guess principles for yourself yeah that's a good question that's a big question um so we, we have a, we have a creative framework which is sort of guides how we coach calisthenics um, based around two key principles of movement and strength and i think if you, we can go into details of the framework if you want but at a top level we're really interested in um moving well like i've we've we've spoken about before jack and i and i've said it to athletes over the years that range of movement and being able to move through range is like the cornerstone of performance if you can do that you can do whatever you want it's easy to get someone stronger if they move well relatively mm. when they, as a youth athlete or as a beginner or even yeah it gets harder law of diminishing returns at, at top end but First of all, let's move well. If the body is happy and it performs well when we've got high quality movement, we're big on learning to move in new ways from an athleticism perspective. Like we like teaching this system that we have to do new things, um, whether that be the specificity of something like a human flag or, or something more generic, but challenging ourselves to move outside of sagittal plane push and pull, for example. Um, I don't think the system is designed like that in terms of just those patterns. And, and that links into our, our appreciation of moving with um, like patterns rather than just muscles in that, in that sense of we want to incorporate the kinetic chain. Again, it looks like, and as we understand the system as it should be used. Um, and then the other side of it is strength. And we're, we're big on that. And, and strength and, and calisthenics gets a lot easier the stronger that you are. It's a strength to weight kind of um, game at the end of the day. But if you want to do handstand for example or you want to do one handstand push-up it makes it way easier if you've got a ton of strength to play with so we want to 
make sure that we are moving well, but we also want to be strong through those positions. Those are probably our key principles and the play factor of actually just enjoying training. It's, it shouldn't be work in that sense. It should be something we have fun with. Yeah, and I think when, when like Tim saying, talk about um, learning to move in new ways or learning, learning different sort of movement patterns, that there's, there's some principles probably that we'd, that we'd stick to of, of going... Um, if we're working with someone like understanding like what is it that they're trying to achieve and what is it that's like stopping them from being able to do that and there was a I had a nice example with a friend where they were trying to get up into a tucked handstand and they just weren't ever getting the hips on top of the shoulders so they were like rotating a little bit but never ever going far enough they just didn't know where too far was to know where the, the right position was and I said to them we were in the gym and they'd not been doing much training to be fair I said do you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to do a forward roll. And they were like, what? I was like, we just, if you can, when was that time you did a forward roll? And they're like, it was about 20 years ago I did a forward roll. But what she needed to do was do a full forward roll to know that like, well, now we've gone too far. And then, then you've got context of where too far is. And then you've also got your get out of like, if I go too far, well, I can just turn it into a forward roll. And then the, the, the amount of fun and laughter that came from her then trying to do a a forward roll in the gym and then throw on the top of there that like no one was looking at her in the gym, but she had a, a thing of like, well, oh, I don't really want to do this thing in the gym because no one else is doing forward rolls in the gym, but we did it. She had a great time. She learned something. She broke down a mental barrier of like, or oh, worrying about what people think of us. And you, and you go, well, how, that's, 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 that can only be a good thing in terms of her. And then she's getting a bit of spatial awareness about how, where are my hips related to my shoulders? And you can dial that into into it as, as a specific thing as you want to if you're trying to work with a, an athletic population or, or kids that are doing certain sports and have got certain things they're going to try and do in the sport or it can work on sort of a, a general physical literacy of understanding their bodies better but they're going to get lots of benefits to it at the same time mm. so that kind of leads nicely into my next question so we've mentioned a little bit already about um, moving well on that kind of being a basis so what benefits do you think calisthenics could bring to, to children and youth athletes, both on a physical and, and mental level? Yeah, and that, that, that point that you make there about the physical and mental is, is huge, as Jack has touched on already, that we do see calisthenics as, um, I audaciously wrote a blog titled The Greatest Form of Exercise, because it's, um, it's, it, there's, I think there's few forms of training where you get everything that calisthenics offers in terms of, yes, we have a physical opportunity to move the body and, and to get strong and to, and to work through different ranges and different positions but also the mental side of learning to move in new ways you, you, the neural circuitry and wiring that you're doing by challenging yourself with these fairly complex movement patterns that are um, system-wide or, or involve kinetic chain integration that's just incredibly powerful from a movement literacy perspective but also from things like even down the line of staving off things like dementia and alzheimer's like we, we need to be investing in flexing the brain and teaching it new things combine that with the benefits of movement we've got something pretty powerful and then we've got growth mindset by doing something that you don't think you can do the first time i ever tried to do a planche i looked at jacko and said mate that is impossible how do you even produce force with straight arms in a forward lean that position few years down the line of unpicking it and doing some work i can now do a fairly solid straddle plunge so i've achieved something and now i look at everything else in calisthenics and, and realize that it's just a part of trusting a process and putting in the work to get somewhere so from a from a youth perspective and for, for children well we need to get them to move well we need to get them to be have, have good kinesthetic awareness and, and and be able to apply themselves in different ways take on new movement challenges we need to get them stable we need to be getting them 
thinking about movement and being strong, competent movers rather than whether they can do a bench press or a dumbbell chest fly or, or whatever that might be. And, and we can probably have a conversation about at what stage of performance is that finished because arguably that's the senior athletes that we work with as well. It's not just the kids, but we know if we've got kids who are moving well, who can take on challenges and they can, they've got a growth mindset when they go about their training, when we put those into a performance environment or a sports, a sports environment, whatever, wherever the direction they're going to go, they're going to do well and they'll be easier to coach so that the people further up the pathway are going to have a much better job because they can ultimately, they've got less to undo. You know what it's like if we get a guy who comes in at 18 years old and can't move, like you, that guy might be ready to go and perform. He's, it could be going to win medals or, or compete on at national international standards. But we have to go back and we've got to either we have the opportunity or we don't because of the time, the pressures of, of getting that performance delivered. What we actually really need to do is go back to basics, teach them to move again. So, yeah, and if they've been through in part of that, they might have been through the process of like they tried something, it could, it was, couldn't do it straight away, it was quite hard, but the outcome was a, it was a movement based like we're going to try and do this thing. They then alongside the coach, like figure it out. And then it's like, oh, remember when you couldn't do that thing? It's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm actually really good at that now. And, and you go, well, not only are you, you're now doing some movements that are going to be really good for, for you and your athletic performance uh, as you grow older, but also you've, you've been taken through that process of going, just because I can't do something doesn't mean I have to give up on it. It's, it means that I just need to figure out either on my own or with the support of a coach figure out how do I unpick this, break this down and then actually go through that learning process. And we stop, we, we do, we go somewhere to providing that growth, that environment for growth mindset and reducing the fear of failure, which from a psychological point of view will cripple so many um, young, young kids coming through because often like the best kids when they come through is like, you know, if we're talking uh, rugby, I know guys that played like England 16s, when I was going through and it was just, they were just the biggest dudes and like the rest of us hadn't grown up yet. And then mm. they never played like professional adult rugby because they'd never been challenged. As soon as it then became hard, it was like, I've got no coping strategy mentally for dealing with this adversity of not being the biggest dude on the pitch and finding this easy. Um, mm. So the last felt one like a bit of a rant. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> the last one from me on that one is just around play. Like calisthenics doesn't feel like training a lot of the time. Um, yeah. we, we used to do some work. With, we do a lot of work in having and swimming, and we used to do some swim camps for for kids. Um, and if we showed them hand balancing or, or some handstand progressions on day one of a three day camp, they didn't want to do anything else for three days. They didn't want, they're not interested in doing a lateral lunge for the breaststroke. They just want to do war walks and they want to try and do handstands because they're it's also, fun. And so they're not, they gauge in the process. And they're also not, they don't ever ask the, the question. They might ask a few questions, but they never ask, how many reps of this should I do? Yeah. How many, they, they don't ask for what are the acute variables. They just want to crack on and like have mm. a play with this thing. And actually it lends itself to that. Like, let's explore this. Let's play with this. And actually meeting the kids where they're at and helping them guiding them with their development rather than sticking this rigid thing on that we go well this is what we think we should do because there's some science that says this well there's also a lot of science that says that play is where they're going to learn the most and all the mm. good stuff we just spoke about comes by default because yeah. they're having a good time and they're getting stable they're getting strong they're exploring new challenges like it's just it's a bit of a it's a complete package in that sense as i said we're really biased <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's so much in that last few minutes that I want to unpack because there's, there's real gold in there. The first, the first thing is um, like 
that enhancement of kinesthetic awareness. So I'm sure we've probably all had this experience um, where you train two athletes and one has some sort of um, background in gymnastics or trampolining or something that's more subjectively scored. And you get that instant, you're, you're not a normal swimmer. You've done something else. And, and I've had this conversation so many times with guys when I'm like, you've done gymnastics. And they're like, yeah, how, you, how can you know? And it's like chalk and cheese when you watch two guys move, and especially in rugby. I've had a guy, you know, who did tumbling when he was like five years old and he still is benefiting from that because he's so much more smooth in his movements. So what is it, or what is it about that kinesthetic awareness do you think we can, we can I guess, um, utilise in, in calisthenics to really bring something different to a youth S&C programme? Yeah, it's, I think there's, calisthenics is going to challenge you to move in different ways. So I've seen the same thing, working university sport, you get a, a, the group of freshers come in in the first week of term and you'd, be, you'd spot them and they'd be like, you've done something. And it would be either gymnastics or dance. Typically, if it was um, if it was a girls team, more dancers mm-hmm. than, than the boys, um, and you'd see those guys that have done little or have already started doing far too much strength work, a basic yeah. kind of like squat, row, press, and they haven't really got anything else. And they might be super strong at those. I mean, one guy could bench more than he could squat at like eighteen years old, and it's like he was I always tell those guys that have <laughs> when I get guys like that, I always say from now on you have to walk on your hands because your, your legs obviously can't take it. Yeah. Gonna, it's going to change that around. Yeah, and and I think it's it, it it's coming back to that. Um, in calisthenics, we're going to get them to move upside down. We're going to invert. We're going to rotate on the rings. We're going to get them to roll, and we're going to get them to look for hand placements. Um, we're going to yeah, we're going to challenge that balancing. And some of the area that Jack and I look into more is is around a bit of neurology. And it, there's a really interesting point. We're going on a course in a few weeks around it. But in SNC, we typically forget all of the sensory inputs that we've got going on. We think about like uh, movement-based inputs. That's, oh, that's probably even too broad as it is, but we forget about training the vestibular system or the visual system. Where do we look in certain movements? What's our head position doing? What's, well, how we challenge our, our, our balance? All of these things are, are where the brain and the central nervous system is gathering a significant, a huge amount of information but we don't think about them. We think about the pattern or the movement of a bar moving up and down and often how much load is on it. I would argue that that stuff is far less important in youth development and actually just getting the kids to become aware of themselves and where they are in space in a range and variety of different positions because what happens on the rugby pitch? Well, they're going to get barreled around all over the place. As an example for a sport, they're going to be upside down potentially or they're going to be spinning around and they're going to need to get up off the floor and run in the right direction. Yes, we get some of that on the training field, but again, we know that from the transfer of doing things in a more controlled environment, if we're going to learn new skills and new abilities, they're best going to be um, nurtured in an environment where we can control it, and then we can bring it into more specific or more chaotic um, space. Yeah, if that answers the question. Yeah, or... I think the other thing to add is that that's a little bit um, where calisthenics can provide something that's a little bit different is that. In you, you know, you mentioned dance, and in that we, we might be going upside down in tumbling, and there's all these other types of training that have benefit where we're getting that spatial awareness or kinesthetic awareness of different positions, but and and sort of building up that roadmap in in our minds of like where are our, our different body parts in relation to each other when we're in all these sort of more complex positions or whether it's inverted or whatever it may be. But, what's probably a little bit different with calisthenics and probably similar with gymnastics depending on where they go with it but we'll be 
either in some sort of hand balancing variation or hanging from a bar and you're getting all that kinesthetic awareness and spatial awareness development but not just on its own it's whilst you're creating stability and strength throughout the kinetic chain and i think that's where the gold is in terms of developing that with um well with youth athletes but with 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 anyone really but the early if we can get that embedded in early they're not just getting that better awareness and map in their mind of like what their buddy's doing they've got stability and strength and making those connections through the kinetic chain yeah i think there's an interesting one on that about we could just off that go well let's just go and teach all the kids gymnastics and tumbling and there's a there's a really strong argument for that i wish i could tumble and i'm going to teach my little boy to tumble but at the same time what calisense is going to give us as jacko says is well i'm pretty confident that by doing more bodyweight progressive training to a higher intensity as we can find in calisthenics when you come to want to learn to snatch or to bench press because that's what your sport requires you've already got a lot of what you're going to need to be an absolute beast mm-hmm. when it comes to those kind of movements i'm i'm pretty sure and i haven't got the dev- evidence to prove it but if someone can improve their um their handstand capability i'm pretty confident it's going to improve your overhead pressing yeah and it's not yeah. and it's not rigid we're not rigid with it it's not like because the more rigid you make something, if you're going to do X, if you're going to do hands, you have to do like this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and like, that's great to have that those like, I guess that that roadmap of like how to learn something. But at the same time, to have variation and variety is actually where we we build that better movement literacy and robustness about those movement patterns. So hmm. because I don't know, I guess because calisthenics is a little bit rough around the edges, it's a little bit new. It's like it's less it's definitely less rigid than like a than a straight up um mm. how we would necessarily do um gymnastics I mean, well, that yeah. being said neither of us have done gymnastics so we don't actually know yeah that. and also the, the, the snc programs that i would have written for years yeah like super like when i look back at them now i'm gonna crack it a bit boring <laughs> <laughs> yeah i started i mean I, I took your tip tim about just having a box where i just stick athletic development and we put stuff in there but one of the things we've done in the academy in caledonia is got a bit of a movement matrix, but we've started mapping in those calisthenics movements. Um, and the guys love it. Like you say, they don't view it as training. They kind of want to do handstands or frog stands or, you know, the handstand walks and that kind of stuff. So we're gradually integrating that, but kind of flipping back to what you said earlier, Jacko, around that biological variation, the sport of rugby is so biased towards someone who's bigger and stronger and faster. But what we're starting to see is those small guys who maybe are a later developer, they're the ones who are getting, to understand a frog stand first or a human flag first because they've got that slightly better level of, of uh, body weight to, to kind of strength ratio. So it's a big confidence booster for them and that they're the first guy to be able to do a handstand or yeah. a muscle up. So there's a big element there as well. Okay, yeah, we're getting the physical benefits, but actually those guys who might not have the biggest bench or the biggest squat are the first guys to get these skills. Yeah, which is a nice win for them. But also hmm. there's probably something in that that the, because they weren't that guy before, they've probably had like a rougher ride to get to where they've got to, but they're there now. And actually they're probably a little bit better prepared to, as I say, like deal with adversity and actually try something that might seem a little bit different, a little bit daunting because they're used to sort of everything not going their way. Um, I also I'm a think- big passion about that. Like having it easy is not, is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Although that's what we want. We want to make like, we want to make, we want you, you know, you want Jack to have the best life. 
but having the easiest best life is not actually yeah. setting himself up to be any good at anything i don't know if you find this rub or not but i think back to one guy that i played with at university and he was he was smaller than i am and i'm not i'm not sorry jack guy. is tim's little boy yeah, that might not made any sense <laughs> um, but jules this guy that i played with at university south grew up in south africa but he was probably i don't know he might have been five foot eight and i reckon he probably weighs 70 kilos but he was a great athlete and this guy would pick up guys who are 120 <laughs> kilos and put them on the backside it just because he was a good athlete he could connect well and he was actually just technically had then had the, the capacity to be able to deliver a, a, a complex movement in terms of tackling a guy who weighs a significant more more yeah. than you i just think there is that benefit in rugby of just going like okay well let's just be better athletes and if you can handle the bigger dudes then you've actually i'd rather be smaller and athletic i think of some of the guys that i've I mean, it's not necessarily a small guy who's a hooker but he was pretty rubbish at like bench and stuff he wasn't that strong on a on a scale of like what a professional like hooker would be um and what was his background like uh, new zealander like farming like didn't like lift weights but just did a lot of work and like Farm moves strength. a lot of yeah but but where does that come from it's just like do it moving awkward things and just no reps and set but just you've done that then it sets you up to and i mean crikey even when he was holding a tackle bag and you had to hit him it would break you you know <laughs> and like let alone getting hit by him properly luckily but i played on the same team as him but i just think that it, like some of those types of things is like proof in that um yeah I think there's a really interesting. Is being good element. at bench press make you good at rugby? Like, yeah. Yeah, you, there's a lot of arguments there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. One of the things I think is is really cool is um like we're obviously so biased in SNC to to think about bigger, faster, stronger, more explosive, and actually one of the things calisthenics does is add add a cool skill in. So once you learn to bench press. Okay, you might do an incline bench, you might do a decline bench, but it's not that exciting. You're just looking at the load increasing. But being able to go from doing a frog stand to being able to hold a handstand, that's a big breakthrough, and guys kind of get a big, you know, a big kind of adrenaline rush and being able to do that. So yeah. something, you know, something unique about that that you don't get from a bench or a squat. Yeah, I think that's the skill acquisition process that never never stops in, in calisthenics. There's always something to learn. There's always a new goal to go after. There's always something to achieve. And, and yes, people will set um, objectives around a, a bench press, for example. I want to do 120 kilos. But when you've done 120 kilos, what's next? Mm. We have the same process in calisthenics, but the, the benefit is that it's not just lying on a bench pushing a weight. You're going to have to go and rewire and do, or do some upgrading to your neurocircuitry and force capacity or force production capabilities to actually go and achieve something new so the whole system gets a little bit of an upgrade and you've got the opportunity to go and do something you couldn't do before yeah i was gonna i've got something for you a little hard of like if you think that so like with the, that example you go well just like handstand push-ups and then planches and then all these things you go like yeah but that's like quite extreme to do for a sport and actually what we we're gonna we use bench press because then we get some numbers and then we know whether someone's improving rather than mm-hmm. like what's the what's the three month improvement of someone's handstand it's like a little bit better say or they're okay they now can now sort of push out frogs then but it's very difficult for us to measure and we we want to be able to measure them so that we can show the improvement that we've made which is actually it's true but it's not true because actually what you want them to do if they're a rugby player is you want them to be better at rugby mm-hmm. But that's what the, that's. But we forget that when we're doing when we're doing our little bit of training. Partly, maybe as coaches, we want to prove our worth because here's the numbers he used to do. Here's the numbers he now does. That's me proving my worth as as the yeah, coach. Yeah, definitely. But ultimately, if my player 
is the is a better player at rugby and those parameters are dictated by like the coach or the how well the team does or how many tries he scores or whatever that is and he heaven forbid squats less than bench presses less but is a better rugby player mm-hmm. well isn't him if he is the rugby player the success has to be on the on the rugby side of things so i just think that the numbers the numbers thing that the weights give you is great for being able to like track progression and, and, and everything like that but there's probably a slightly wider question particularly when we're young but i'd even have build it out to even when we're as well if they're whatever sport they're doing and rugby is just the example because that's what we've done that if they're better at rugby that's actually the end point but what's difficult is to then measure that yeah. so then we want to measure because we want to prove our it's avoiding that reductionist approach isn't it yeah. you've got to embrace some level of complexity in movement because it is a complex thing whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast there's something else that we think you will also really enjoy and that is the virtual classroom if you're a beginner we have got an eight-week free beginners program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better get superhuman strong and have a lot of fun along the way if you're ready to take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a frog to handstand or a muscle up then inside the virtual classroom you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need but rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere. Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I've had this debate. This is a central part of our philosophy in Cali, which is the number one gift I can give my players is the robustness to undertake more rugby training because that is what's yeah. going to make them a better rugby trainer. Like yeah. if, they, if they could get more time in front of the coach catching, passing, doing lineouts, doing scrums, yeah, that's going to make exactly. them a better pitch, a uh, better player on the pitch. Whether they bench 110 or 115 is neither here nor there. Like, I, yeah. I'm yet to have um, any coach say to me, um, you know, I'm thinking about my lineup, who benches the most? I've never had that discussion. <laughs> you know, I'm sure the discussion is, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but like at the end of the day, you're absolutely right, Jacko. My remit is to create rugby players. I could create the best powerlifters on earth and still fail at my job. Yeah. You know, it's it's about what happens on the pitch, and and that's a big part of it. Um, I think you'd get headhunted for powerlifting though if you did that. Yeah, Boris <laughs> Jr. <laughs> one of the one of the big things as well that I want to dig at earlier, because um, this is something I've kind of started using myself. Is and you're right around uh, making your programs more exciting again, and actually that element of play um, is something that's really lost, and especially in academies where it becomes very much about, as you said, metrics and progress and results. That there's not necessarily an avenue or a kind of environment where it's just like, hey, you got 30 minutes, um, just muck around with this, which is obviously something you guys are really kind of advocates for in the in the academy. Yeah, well, I th- like the play thing, like true play. Um, I'm trying to think, remember that book? What it was, Stuart Brown. Stuart Brown. It's just called Play, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, great book, and it talks about like what true play being. There are no like, there's no reason for it whatsoever. Um, and that's so hard to actually come by and do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, these days, I haven't got kids, but I know some of my friends have said that they've got young lads growing up and stuff. And they, they'll say that they, they want to go and play out in the garden with them. And the first question is, okay, dad, like, where are the cones and what's the rules? And it'd be like, well, we're just going to have a bit of a kick about like, there aren't like that, but they're but almost like we're teaching them to like search for all these boundaries to contain their fun or their play rather than actually um, letting it, letting them just explore something. So if we can, 
if that's you know as as snc coaches we can't control what the what the what's going to go on on the field and what the coach is going to do if you start arguing with them you're just going to get you're not going to be in your job very long but can we provide a part of our our program in the gym that allows them to to play to explore we're not going to tell you how many reps and sets there are we're not going to you know we're just going to give you some very small parameters to go and you know have a have a feel about figure that out yeah. don't even don't even think they might come up with something that is different to what you actually for you because you'll have an answer in your head of what you think the thing is you want them to do but even like let them try and find something that's even different because the kids are so creative and it just gets knocked out of us like we should be mm. creative as adults still but it it gets yeah it gets it, well in my opinion it just sort of gets it gets drilled out of us you know it's one of the things that um for us talking about play talking about the, the sort of calisthenic side of of exploring different things how many times as an adult do you do something new for the first time, like genuinely, like it just doesn't happen very often. Um, and I think that having that instilling that in there, because if you're doing that with kids at, at, at that youth age and they're seeing the benefits and feeling of it, they're going to carry that through and they're going to want to, they're not going to come when they're adults. They'll be, they'll be, they'll be looking, they're probably pushing their, their other, their new coaches that they go on to do to go like, well, why aren't we doing a bit of this? Why aren't we doing that? And actually stretching, you know, pushing that through and actually them being the driver. I think that would be amazing if we got to that point. But also, like, those are the athletes that you want on the river pitch. Yeah. Somebody who can see mm. the game and just go, do you know what? I'm not playing by yeah. the step, set patterns. I'm going to yeah. step out and I'm going to do something different because yeah. I have the freedom to be creative. Yeah. We have to, like, there's a great uh, TED talk by um, Sir Ken Robinson that people should look up because it talks around creativity and, and these sort of concepts. And it, it, some of the, the points that Jacko sort of mentioned that uh, he, he reinforces, but it's, it's really well articulated in that we are we're stifling that ability to be creative and we need mm. to get it back and encourage it and foster it. Yeah, absolutely. Have either of you read um, the book Drive by Dan Pink? No, I've no, got no. a Dan Pink no. book on the go, but not that one. Well, it's, it's really, really interesting. So it talks about the underlying motivations for why people do things, but he talks about... Um, like incentive structures. So in a business, you know, typically a bonus if you produce more performance, blah, blah, blah. And what the research kind of suggests, if it's a mechanical task, so say, I don't know, you're making nuts and bolts for something. So something that's just repetitive, that if you incentivize them financially, then again, they're more productive. But if it's a creative task and you incentivize them, opposite actually happens. They just play safe and produce the same stuff. And yeah. I guess we can, we can kind of be guilty of doing that as coaches in that we incentivize, you know, I don't know, say you're a football coach and you give positive feedback when someone scores a goal in a particular way, well, potentially just incentivizing them to do the same thing again, not to create yeah. a different outcome and a different creative way of doing things. Um, but the three things he pulls out, which you, you might, guys might find quite interesting, is his three underlying drivers are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So um, he has this concept of, he calls it, um, if, if a task is autotelic, the idea being in that the whole point of the task is to do the task itself. Like it's not for any particular outcome. It's not for any particular um, thing you're trying to achieve. It's just the joy of doing that, which I guess is what we're talking about at calisthenics. It's yeah, just, with the play, yeah. Yeah, just go and play. Yeah. Well, there's some real simple examples of it. And, and, and this is where I think it holds real value for practitioners and coaches is that we might have got a functional rig in a gym or, or we've got some form of bar system, which is like a set network together or, or even a, a squat rack with got four kind of sides on it. Well, the warm-up can be get from here to there 
by hanging without touching the floor. And we're going we're gonna to see then how creatively can you get from here to there. And if you can do it like a normal monkey bar fashion, well, how many rotations can you put in? How many ways can you figure out of doing it differently? And, and as S&C coaches, we're getting shoulder prep. We're getting some, some closed kinetic chain activation. We're getting some stability. We're challenging different positions and, and strengthening different positions whilst they're just having a nice time swinging around on some bars, having a bit of a laugh and seeing who can do it the best. Yeah. And it's and even put it on them to go, go get from there to there. And then they do it once yeah. and you go, okay, well now you add a parameter. What aren't you allowed to do? And then like, let them actually be creative with the parameters and then they'll continue then to be creative, not just in what they then go on and do, but how they're actually going about doing it. Mm. One of the, the kind of big bugs, big bug bears that I have, you kind of guys have mentioned coaching in the university kind of sector before um, having gone through an SNC degree myself and, and regularly having coaches in my network who've gone through SNC degrees, is that there's very much a bias towards coaching senior elite performers. So it's all about the weightlifting derivatives, speed and plyos, but I'm yet to come across someone who's done a gymnastics module or a calisthenics module or a kettlebell module or something that isn't metrics on a, on a bar, how strong or how fast can you get? Um, do you think that that's something that potentially is missing in that kind of degree um, based sector. I think it'll change. I think it's, it's a, it's, a, it's where that t- where the sort of, where the times have been, even like you think back to what um, the, the UKCA was like when you first started compared to, you know, what it's like now. And like, you know, they let us do a, a calisthenics thing where it was, it used to be just about barbells. And so it take the thing is with degree programs, it takes a long time for those things to change just because, because it's the same, because you could take that into other contexts in, um, you know, they know an awful lot more about, uh, nutrition, et cetera. Now, and there'll be still things that advance, like, quicker than like the, the the universities can change their courses effectively almost in a way because it has to be sort of there for a long standing time before they'll actually then change an actual mm-hmm. course if that yeah. makes sense I think so I think it, I would be surprised if it didn't change gradually. 100% think it is missing and, and often what's interesting about it from a, a gymnastics and let's take calisthenics in the same sort of um, segment people will say that body weight is for beginners and once mm. you can do a push-up then you've earned the right to do a bench press well arguably body weight training is more technical than bar um, than, than some barbell lifts if we're starting to look at some different movements how you can actually hold posture I, i've seen athletes squat with a bar on the back and it looks great and i stick them in a body weight squat or a single leg squat and they're all over the place that the bar is almost providing some stability for them to actually do it better um and i i think that it should be a, a much more um fundamental elementary component of of that process because one thing that that calisthenics will teach you is you can't progress until you've actually earned the right so you can cheat an overhead press you can get an extra two and a half kilos on an overhead press because you'll just fudge the technique you'll you'll arch your back you'll grind it out through a bit more of um of chest rather than shoulder or whatever whereas if you if you want to do a really nicely well controlled handstand for example then you you can't do that unless you have shoulder range of movement. You can connect that stability from the hip and the shoulder at the same time. You can understand where your feet are in space. You've got some sensory awareness of what you, from a visual and a vestibular perspective. 
these are sort of the things that make you really appreciate movement. And, and I look back when I first started, what, what I came out with, I, a lot of my early qualifications were through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Mm-hmm. And to be fair to them, they've got, I really like their, their approach to training. They were very much around understanding movement. And then if you understand movement and functional anatomy, you can actually train anybody because it's you're just understanding how the body needs to move for a sport-specific outcome. But still within that, their training programs would have been largely strength orientated on road press bench deadlift um squat whatever but they were in their early phases in their stabilization endurance phases they would call it would have a lot of multiplanar movements they were encouraging rotation mm-hmm. um and i know a lot of training programs do that's nothing new but it's taking it a step further than that and and just getting away from we've got to use a barbell or a cable or a dumbbell when there's so much value to be had in body weight but it's seen as oh that's stuff you do when you're a beginner Mm. We can walk into a gym of NCC coaches and I'll make anybody feel weak in calisthenics compared to what you might find some people can do. That's not, that's not like a me, yeah. Mr. Big Pants kind of conversation. I'm still on that process yeah. myself, but you can always find something which makes you feel like a beginner in calisthenics. I think, but I just think it's, it's, it's just all in context. Because if you're lift, we, you know, you said like talking about lifting bench press, 110, 115, like that's not a beginner, but lifting the barbell on its own on bench press, that's a beginner. Like mm. it's all like, but if you, if in calisthenics after, a, if we say a push up is a beginner exercise and we don't look at any ways we can then change that environment to change that into something more advanced, that's no different to saying, well, bench press is a beginner because it's only 20 kilo and someone goes, well, you can put more weights on it. We go, well, no, I'm saying you're not allowed to put any weights on it. So it stays as a beginner. It's, it's only that like, it's quite easy to go put more weight on. Whereas mm. to change the push up, we have to get a little bit more, um, a little bit more experimental or a little bit more creative about how we do that but it's it's and it's not a it's not a numbers difference it's a joint position angle where they mm. you know, like the planche is the, is a push-up with just feet on the floor as i just i mean it's a huge <laughs> yeah. jump but yeah. do you know what i mean it's like yeah, everything's yeah. everything's a beginner and everything can be advanced do you know what? I, th- I think um like for me i'm probably a bit harsh in, in thinking this but for me it's lazy coaching like it's easy to go do some press ups. You can do three sets of 15, right? We're ready to bench. Um, yeah. And this is like something I'll kind of play devil's advocate with my coaches a lot and be like, right, well, we've got other like metrics other than load. So what about we manipulate the tempo? What about we manipulate like, the positions, the range of motion? You know, what about we, we do some isometrics, some eccentrics? We go, you know, decline. Like let's, let's think outside the world of I want to get him to bench press. How could you make this yeah. harder? And I think for me, that comes from being in a position where I've had 20 athletes and no kit, and you've got a guy who's really good at pen, uh, push-ups and a guy who's really crap. So you're thinking, okay, that guy can bang out 20. How can I make this harder for him? Um, and it isn't yeah. just, let's go and bench. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is it, that sense of, you, you actually put those acute variables on people. And we do the same thing in bodyweight training. We've actually, if the program says it's four second eccentric, do a four second eccentric and see how that feels because you might knock out 10 pull-ups. We, we've done it in swimming before as well. Of, of Yes, it's a bodyweight exercise, but we have the guys doing pull-ups and I'll, I'll see them in the gym and they've got 20, 30 kilos around their waist and the spine's all bent out of shape and it's just not looking pretty at all. And then we'll strip it back and go, right, weight off. And I want you to hold a, a sort of a real nice, stable, straight line body position. I want you to move on a straight angle online, which is a much higher quality position. And they'll go from 10 reps of body weight to maybe five or six, because the whole demand of when you incorporate more from the kinetic chain, it becomes way more difficult. So even by just that, that 
conversation there where I've effectively changed the load because I now can't perform as many reps. It's harder for me to do. And it might be the, the total weight going through the lats, for example, it hasn't changed, but the way that I'm asking the system to operate in a coordinated manner has. And that's mm-hmm. what I want when I get into the water. I need that, if I'm a catch position, I need the hand or the, the wrist, elbow, shoulder, pelvis to be connected to be able to transfer forces through i don't want to catch the water and let my back arch because it's just going to cause a, a poor body position yeah, so it's, com- it's the same thing as like with the rugby player like that example you want the swimmer to be better at swimming if they can pull more weight but they're no better at swimming it, it's yeah, irrelevant doing my job is less than yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. we we're motivated by like lifting more for lots of various different reasons um mm. and uh the, the pull-up one is a really good example i remember being with um and someone said, "I oh, know, yeah, I know, I can do forty-five on that." And I'm thinking, "What? There's no way!" And then they show, and then you show it, and it's like it's half a rep, and it's like all over the place. And you're like, "What's the? What is actually the benefit of that? Other than you're probably just going to get injured. Like you're not actually, but in your head, it's like you did more weight, but it's not. It, things just get a little bit. Uh, things not. Oh no, it's but they can get a little bit messed up. Do you know what I mean? Because equally, there's plenty of other people out there that are going really correct like properly with it and they use the load and it's done progressively and they've built up to that amount and they're doing it beautifully but it's just they've got the they've got a different they've got the same philosophy they're just adding progressively that load mm. um i was just worried then that was almost like coming across that anytime someone's using weight we were saying that that's bad and that's that's absolutely that's not what we're saying at all mm-hmm. um so one of the things i've done with with my kind of work experience guys coming through is we've got a bit of a curriculum that they have to work through. And one of the things they have to work through is your eight week online course, because I'm trying to plug that knowledge gap um, that they might not have. Well for uni. Um, are, you, are you paying us a license fee for that? But one of the things I was going to say is, is, is there anything in the pipeline that you're thinking about looking at from a more youth focused perspective or even those coaching youth ethics? Is that something that's on your mind? Yeah, we'd love to. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely something which we've had numerous conversations about, um, how we package it together and it becoming a bit more of this, some of the holistic stuff that we've spoken about around, yes, we can teach someone to do a human flag, but from a youth population, it's, that's actually not the end game. It's, there's mm-hmm. so much more value in, in yes, what we're doing from a physical robustness and athleticism perspective, what we're doing from a mindset perspective, what we can, what we can do around play. Um, so yeah, hundred percent is something that we want to do. Um, it's just the time of, of, of coordinating the product development and um and the, yeah and just getting getting some of this together and, and linking with the right people to support us with it um because as we're jack and i we've done work with juniors before but it's not our it's not our area of, of sort of expertise and where we spent years and years in the cold face of coaching juniors mm. um so maybe that's something where we can have a chat rob mm. so in the meantime if there are people listening that are thinking right okay i want to get stuck in in terms of I either learning about calisthenics myself or using it with some some of my athletes where would you kind of point them to or how would you suggest they get started uh, well uh, that they can get started with that free beginners program that, that you just mentioned that's that's in our um what we call our virtual classroom effectively it's like the online online training environment and and, um, and programs that are on there um we've also do our face-to-face workshops that people can find all the information from them for both of those two things at the website which is schoolofcalisthenics.com i'm sure we can put the link in the show notes for them or mm. we can we can send you that we could put a direct link for that big free beginners program of people yeah uh, definitely if you want that 
So is there any advice you'd give to those who are kind of currently coaching youth athletes, both based on, I guess, your experience, Jacko, right up to the professional level and what you know now on the flip side of kind of getting stuck, stuck into calisthenics? Um, I think to, to em, not be scared of and embrace like doing something a little bit different, it, like have a look at some of, have a look at what could, because it might not be, it might not be calisthenics, it could be anything, but just look at the idea of, how else how can i what opportunities can i give my athletes my guys my girls to become more rounded more robust what 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 types of stimulation can i expose them to and okay calisthenics can be one of those maybe we've argued for that but look to do look to think outside the box a little bit and just embrace that experiment with you with yourself and then and then see what where you can where you can add that in i really liked what you said before about um your job is to make them better at that sport, like rather than just the the, the numbers that you potentially can measure for them. Yeah. yeah. I think the other thing is just recognizing that calisthenics and what we spoke about. Yes, we're, we're kind of all in on that. It's kind of become our, our bit of our, our specialism, but from a, from a implementation perspective, this is one part, one part of a periodized plan. It could be used only during pre-season or a certain parts of the year it could be used just to freshen up a program every now and again do i think that the athletes in sport need to be lifting weights yes 100 percent. do i think we should be deadlifting and should we be doing lunge work or split lunges or or pressing yes definitely those are things all have a role i think what our point is that we did this then this needs to be a little bit of acknowledgement that there is scope in a program and a need for it to spread wider than that. And as a coach, you're just using the right tools at the right time. And this is a tool which has a lot yeah. of impact and a lot of potential mm. that a lot of people aren't using, which could enhance the program if utilized in the right way. So I don't, as Jack had mentioned before, I don't want people to think that we are anti-weightlifting. We still train athletes and we're still lifting weights with them, but we'll probably have um, some level at some point during the year, for example, wheelchair racing, I'm doing quite a, a bit of work with, with some of those guys. We'll use planned progressions at a certain part of, of the year because it's very similar to the position that they actually push in, more, more specific than a dip. But when I want to put horsepower in there, I'm just looking for some proper, like just some maximal strength development. We go to a dip because I can get more from that. So it's, I mean, it might be we're doing weighted dips within that, or it could yeah. be that we're going to do some you pressing. Talk about, yeah, I mean, using yeah. dumbbells. It's just that, yeah, that point is that it's that use it, use it as appropriate for your program, for your athletes. Um, but it, it's by all means not the, not the, the magic bullet. It's just a part of the puzzle. Hmm. I think there's a danger in SNC that people get married to methods, don't they? Like there's a guy who, you know, yeah. he's the kettlebell guy or he's the calisthenics guy or he's the Olympic lifting guy. And I think the second you do that, you kind of empty your toolbox out and just pick up a hammer and say, <laughs> right, I'm off. Um, and yeah, this, is, yeah. this is my tool. Whereas actually you're really, you know, undervaluing what you can do by not looking at some other methods. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. So where can people find out more about the School of Calisthenics? I know you guys are pretty active on social media, doing your, your handstands and human flags in various places around the world. Yeah, so social media you can find um, School of Calisthenics if you if you search on any of your preferred platforms. You'll find us. Instagram is probably one of our most um, sort of where, where a lot of our content goes. If you want the sort of the latest happenings on that, uh, we have our own podcast which you can search at School of Calisthenics on um, on your preferred listening platform, and and you'll find that as well. Um, and our YouTube channel has got loads of sort of free content on there. You can get a feel of, of the sorts of stuff we do. But as Jack mentioned before, our online training programs and the free program that we have as part of that um, is where all of our kind of like 
structured work is in terms of if you're wanting to learn handstand progressions and a number of different things in there we've got different options and standalone packages membership packages um, and you can find all of that information at schoolofcalisthenics.com lovely and if you want a nice little uh, holiday in the sunshine you can head to sri lanka is that right sri lanka oh uh, yeah yeah in december yeah. five spots left yeah as we speak yeah no that's gonna be exciting that's been on my radar ever since it was uh, Marbella. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Like a bit of sunshine, a bit of training. And then you up the ante, you took it to Sri Lanka. Just took it up a notch. Well, one of my friends has been to Sri Lanka and he said it is the greatest place he's ever been to. Maybe you should come, Rob. Yeah, well, you know, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, it could right. be there. I might speak to the accountant and see if we can slip it in the, uh, in the uh, books. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. We'll do a very good deal. <laughs> Right, fellas, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for your time. I know it's taken uh, a bit of toing and froing to get you on the podcast, but it's been really good to offer, I guess, a pretty fresh and different insight into, into training and what, what calisthenics can offer. So thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, absolute our, pleasure. Yeah, our pleasure. We've loved it. Thank you for having us. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a load of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good. Keep it five are the best. Five of your best stars, please. <laughs> and if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>